we're going to look at Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. But before we do, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask right now that you would ready our hearts to receive your word. There's a lot going on in, in all of our heads. And we just pray that you would quiet our, 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 our minds, that you would settle us down, that you'd remind us of your presence, that you'd remind us of your goodness and faithfulness expressed through your word, and that we would read it and believe that, Lord, you're at work speaking through it, and that you're at work fashioning and shaping our lives. You're bringing out a response in us. You're helping us to see you for who you are, and you're helping us to understand what it means for us to worship you and follow with everything in us. So do that, we pray, in Jesus' name. Well, church, I want you to imagine standing before the love of your life on your wedding day and hearing vows like this. I'm all in. I'll stand with you so long as I don't ever get my feelings hurt. I'll give you my devotion except when I get bored. Or I'm committed to you, but not on the weekends. Now, hopefully, hopefully no one would be okay with those vows. All right, Jesus makes clear that if you want to follow him, You have to be all in. Now he says some extremely shocking and even offensive things that force the crowds of his day to answer questions like, man, am I I all in? Am I sure I want to follow Jesus? Do I know how much it's going to cost to follow Jesus? Those are the same questions we're to wrestle with today. Look with me at Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, three things I I pray we see. First, It's going to require your greatest loyalty and daily death. Second, think this through to the end. Third, it's all or nothing. So first, it's going to require your greatest loyalty and daily death. What is? Following Jesus. Following Jesus is going to require your greatest loyalty and daily death. You can tell Jesus doesn't care about how many likes he has on social media 
or if the crowds following him are going to be offended by what he says. He tells it like it is. He doesn't tiptoe around things, does he? If you want to follow me, you must. That's what he says. He's not like, hey, if you feel like it. You can follow me, and if you feel like doing this, then great. No, he lays out requirements. And this is good for us, church. It's good for us. Those here who want to follow him and who, or who have expressed an interest in following Jesus need to hear the requirements. And we, who say we follow, need to evaluate whether or not we are understanding what he actually requires of us. And so Jesus' teaching, it, it forced the crowds that were around him to ask hard questions. But it does the same thing for you and I today. It's, it's ultimately for our good. So remember, this is ultimately about entrance into the kingdom of God. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, and where there's a kingdom, there's a king. And Jesus is on the scene as the king of the kingdom, and he's calling people to repent and believe the good news. The good news of what? That God reigns, that he, he rules, and it's a loving and just rule. And we were created to live under his good, just, loving rule. It's where we find meaning and hope and, and purpose and redemption and restoration and reconciliation with God. This is about entrance. Remember, last week we talked about entrance through the narrow door. And when you enter that narrow door, you find a place at the table. You find a place at the feast. The kingdom was oftentimes compared to a feast. And that's what the beginning of Luke 14 was all about. That we find with shock and awe that there's a place for us at the table at this great feast. And that there's room for more. For the broken. For those on the sidelines. For the outcasts. For the marginalized, for the sinner, there's a place for you at the table. Jesus has made a way. But here, oh, he's coming at us with some pretty hard, hard things. But have you ever been challenged by a friend in a way that was at first shocking, even offensive? But, but after the fact, you were thankful. You were thankful for that hard conversation. I've been in those myself. I've, I've, had, to have, I've had to have those conversations with others that I thought, I, I don't know if this guy's going to hit me or if he's going to just leave and I'll never see his face again. But I've had really hard conversations with people that I love. When we hear those words from friends that are hard to hear but we need to hear, it can feel like a bucket of cold water just poured right over our head. It doesn't feel good in the moment, but it wakes us up. Maybe they helped get you back on track or they pushed you into the direction that you should have been headed to begin with. But that conversation, and all of us can probably think of conversations that we had with friends who loved us enough to say some hard things to us. That conversation, uh, it brought us to a crossroads. Maybe you can look back and say, man, that was, a, that was an important moment in my life. God used that. Well, I believe we're at a crossroads here in Luke 14. And Jesus' words are jarring. I mean, they shake us. We hear the word hate, and we're like, hold up, time out. What now? No, no, he didn't just tell me to hate my mama, right? No way did he tell me to hate my daddy. My siblings? Well, that's easier. I can do that. And myself? That goes against pretty much every social media post I've ever seen. I gotta love myself. Hate myself? 
I thought Jesus was all about love. He tells us to love our enemies, to care for our family, to provide for their needs. What's going on here? What's going on here is Jesus is calling you and I to show him our our greatest devotion, our greatest commitment. Verse 26, he's talking about your greatest loyalty because hate is this Hebrew expression that means love less. It's a loving less. It's to turn away from it. He's talking about a commitment that far exceeds devotion to everyone else or even to self. This is about allegiance. This is about faithfulness. Don't think that this is the same thing as us saying, I hate you! And the emotion and the heart behind that. That's not what this is. But Jesus is, though he's not saying that, he is saying you must love everything and everyone less than me. And that's still sharp. There's still an edge to that. We all have loyalties people and things we're committed to that all fight for our attention at some level, right? I mean, that's just life. There are loyalties that we have. Jesus is saying, uh, basically, uh, loyalty to him must not only take precedence, it needs to redefine every other loyalty we have. A reorientation then is called for. A refashioning of our lives. What's priority? Where does our greatest allegiance rest? Where does it rest? In this day and age, in this culture, to say these kinds of things, offensive. What? He's not saying, don't care for your mom and dad. He's not saying, turn to them and say, I hate you. He's not saying that. He's talking about a loyalty to him that puts every other loyalty of ours, and we have them, in a different category, in a different light. Jesus above family. Jesus above self. Are you uncomfortable with that? Jesus has no problem making us uncomfortable. It's not about our comfort. He goes on in verse 27 to talk about taking up our cross, your daily death. So wait a minute, does Jesus, is is he talking about like literally or is this metaphorically dying and taking up our cross? Yes. Actually, yes. To both. Crucifixion was and remains a shocking metaphor for discipleship. Roman prisoners headed to crucifixion were forced to carry their crossbeam to the place of execution. You see that in the death of Jesus himself. He was carrying the crossbeam, and, and he, was, he was so broken by what they had done before his actual crucifixion, he couldn't carry it the whole way. And so someone in the crowd was, was called on to finish um, the journey. The cross, it symbolizes our willingness to give up everything else. Self-denial, humiliation, sacrifice, even to the point of death, if necessary. Self-denial involves letting go of self-rule, autonomy, replacing it with obedience to and dependence on Jesus. It's not the first time we've heard talk like this out of Jesus' mouth. I mean, look with me at Luke chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 23, and what he says here. 
And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And here's the logic. He goes on. For what does it profit a man if he gains everything, the whole world, and yet loses or forfeits himself? Jesus is always pushing us to make comparisons. It's going to take everything in you. He, he's requiring it. He demands it. Take up your cross. Die to self and, and, and look to me. You can't live your life centered on you and your rule, your own autonomy. It's about obedience and dependence on Jesus And taking up your cross, I will say, listen, it's not just one big scary sacrifice and then you're done with it, like giving up a kidney or that one time you you help the guy push his car off the road. It's not that. It's something you do every day. It's a lifestyle. Like what? Dying to self. That you aren't the end of your decision making. That you're going to filter everything you do and say through a different lens, through a different filter. Does this or does this not bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus? Am I living under his good and righteous rule? Am I I learning to follow him? When it comes to relationships with the opposite sex, when it comes to the way I treat money and possessions, when it comes to the way I'm living my life, period, and the way I'm leading my family, my own devotional life and, and passionate pursuits in life, what am I doing with my life? Why am I here? Running everything through that filter. I have to ask again and again. I have to ask again and again, do I know how to follow Or am I trying to take the lead? Do I know what it means to take up my cross daily? To die to myself daily? It's important for us to ask, like, a lot. To ask that question a lot. To not lose the the sharpness, the edge, the edginess of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Am I following or am I trying to take the lead? It's really a war of the heart. It really is. Jesus says in another place, uh, Luke 12, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, you just gotten done talking about seeking the kingdom first. And, and, and he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Well, this is about treasuring Jesus. Yes, it's about following him and dying to self. But when we treasure him above all things, oh, we're, that's where our heart will be. We'll want to do this. This isn't supposed to be just this begrudging, oh, okay, I'll live a sad life taking up my cross, hating everybody. That's not what this is. This is about your loyalty. This is about your commitment and allegiance and devotion. It's going to require your greatest loyalty and your daily death to follow Jesus. Second, Jesus says, think this through to the end. He's saying, don't make a hasty decision here. I want you to consider the cost. Think it through carefully. Jesus uses two illustrations, a person building a tower and a king going to battle. I like these illustrations. Man, they just, they stick with us. They're help, they're so helpful. They're easy to remember. If you want to build a tower, 
you got to sit down and count the cost. Can you or can you not complete the tower? So anyone who's ever done a large home improvement project, right, what do you do first? You first consider all the expenses, you get your estimates, you compare them, and and then you, you make sure you have the funds to complete the project. Otherwise, you're going to end up frustrating a whole lot of people. A whole lot of people. So this is what Jesus is saying about building a tower. Now, whether this was a watchtower in a vineyard or whether this was something more elaborate, we're not told. It doesn't matter. The point is this. The point is before you build, you need to make sure you have the money to complete the tower. You need to ask, will this cost more than I'm actually able or willing to pay. And that's the illustration Jesus uses to help us evaluate and to consider the cost. If you don't have enough, or if you're not willing, what will you have at the end of the day? A half-built tower, a monument to your shame. Yeah, I always, I always have buyer's remorse. doesn't matter what it is. It annoys Valerie. Oh, it just bugs her. I, it, it could be the smallest thing. And then I'm like, you know, scratching my head. Oh, should we have bought that? I don't know. My whole family makes fun of me because um, whatever they buy me for Christmas or birthday, they know I got to keep the receipt because I'm probably going to return it. Or at least I'm going to take two or three weeks to consider whether or not I should return it. And I try to find really good reasons to return it. It's weird. I'm weird. But the point is this. I agonize over purchases and things that don't need to be agonized. I look at reviews. I make wise. I try to make the wisest purchase. Uh, I try to make sure all the funds are there before we're making a purchase. But then even after we've decided the funds are there, and yes, it's a wise purchase, Darren, I still agonize over it. And then when we've purchased it, I agonize over it. A lot of agony here. A lot of issues. But Jesus is saying, have, have you actually thought through this purchase? Have you thought it through to the end? Second, he talks about going to battle, a king. And that, that king will first have to decide if he can take the other army on. I mean, anyone who's going to fight someone needs to consider if they can beat their opponent. Or if they need to first, like, just, like, make peace. <laughs> because the consequences are tragic. If a king goes to war and doesn't consider if he can defeat the other army, there's only two options, utter defeat or surrender, which is defeat. And it's, it's tragic. Author N.T. Wright, he says, when there's an urgent task to be done, everything including family and possessions, even your very life must be put at risk. Jesus' followers have to be ready to do that for the kingdom. Put everything on the table. Everything at risk. Why? There's no greater task that we could imagine than following King Jesus. There's no greater mission. There's no greater joy. There's no greater adventure. Finally, it's, it's all or nothing. Let's pick up in verse 33. 
So in summary fashion, he says, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so everything Jesus has been saying is a way of describing complete commitment up to this point. You simply cannot be his disciple unless you do these things. You you might think you're his disciple, but if you're not all in, if you're not all in, you are something else completely. Three times Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. Be prepared to abandon everything, Jesus says. Be prepared to renounce, surrender, give up everything you have. When you've prepared to do that, it's a sign that you've understood the seriousness of the call to follow Jesus. There's there's no way around it. It's going to cost you. But church, have you considered how much it costs Jesus? Well, let's just consider for a moment where he is in Luke 14. He's on his way to Jerusalem to accomplish for you and I what we could not accomplish for ourselves. To take up a cross, a literal cross, so that we could find the freedom to take up the cross He invites us to take up. He made it possible. It came at a great sacrifice to Him. But Jesus is 100% devoted to our good. There is no greater love that could be expressed than the love he's shown us. So he's wholly committed to our well-being. He's like a faithful groom. He is. You know, throughout Scripture, God pursues his people, and they're referred to as his bride. His bride. Often, his bride is caught in adultery and unfaithfulness. But God pursues Oh, if you're reading the Scriptures, if you're in the Old Testament in your own devotions, you're reading the prophets, you hear God through the prophets just pleading with His people, His heart just broken over their rebellion, broken over their unfaithfulness. And again and again and again, He pursues and pursues. Unwavering commitment on His part. So Jesus' death was was for us. What a commitment. He accomplished what we could not accomplish. He died in our place. He paid the price for our rebellion, for our sin. He literally became sin for us. He absorbed the wrath, the punishment that we deserve. So that none would be left for us. So that we could by faith believe in that work. And then be free now to follow him. That's commitment. God, creator, sustainer, stepping into space and time. Taking on the stuff we're made of. Flesh, bones, and dying in our place. He invites us to follow the way of the cross. 
It's a way of surrender. It's true. It's a way of sacrifice. It might require your physical life. Well, it will. It might actually require you dying. But it's a way that leads to victory. It's a way that leads to freedom and resurrection life. We see the summary in verse 34. It kind of feels Yoda-like. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Uh, don't know. But his, his point is, is this. You know, salt is commonly used for food to enhance the taste or as a preservative. It's also used or was used as a fertilizer for the soil and even in a way for the manure pile uh, to help its process and all that. But, but listen, he's saying, listen, if it loses its flavor, what good is it? A half commitment is what, he, is what he's referring to. Any half commitment here is useless. It's good for nothing, not even for the manure pile. It doesn't matter how sincere your commitment was at first. It doesn't matter how enthusiastic it was at first. It needs to be reevaluated, reexamined. Have we allowed our love for Jesus to lose its flavor? Have we allowed it to fade into the background? Have we allowed other loyalties to crowd our lives and overthrow what loyalty belongs to him? Jesus is challenging us with words that feel like a bucket of cold water right over our head. But you know it's for our good. You know it's because he loves us. He's not trying to hurt us. He's calling us to vows that hold value. He's inviting us to a life of commitment and devotion and love and like a bride wholly devoted to her groom in a way that makes every other relationship pale in comparison. And so Jesus' words bring us to a crossroads, and we all have decisions to make. This is about loving Jesus more than anything else, and protecting and cultivating that love, and battling anything and everything that would threaten to make Jesus second place in our lives. You you might say, oh, Darren, I want to do that, but I don't know how. The solution is, Listen, the solution is not, the solution is not just to try to love Jesus harder. The solution is to tell him that you want to love him more than anyone or anything else. Tell him, tell him right now, tell him, I want to love you more than anything and everyone else. Tell him you're not strong enough on your own and that you desperately need him to do that work in your heart and in your affections. Tell him. That's the place to start. Yes, you must put forth effort, but where should that effort lead you? At the foot of the cross. Completely desperate before the Lord who gives grace and strength to do what he's asking us to do. Tell him. Tell him you want to love him more than anything or anyone else. Church, Jesus is all in. Jesus is all in. And he requires you and I to be all in. Look to and lean on his love and devotion to you for the grace to walk out your love and devotion to him. 
Where will you find the strength to walk out the love that he's calling you to, the devotion he's calling to? Look to his love. Look to his devotion. You'll find all the strength you need, all the energy that you need. Are you ready? Anything of real value is going to cost you something. You know that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being so clear. Thank you for the way you've loved us in your clarity. Thank you for showing us what it actually looks like to follow you. Here we are. We're a church that wants to be disciples who are making disciples. And so for all of us here, we need to evaluate, am I following? Or am I trying to take the lead? So, so Jesus, thank you. Would you, Lord, work in us? Oh, such a longing, such a dependency on your love and devotion that we would want and long to to reflect that back to you. Thank you that you are all in. Oh, God, would you, Lord, help us to, to celebrate that? But also that that would be the fuel and the energy that we draw from that in turn we would say we are all in. We're yours. Lead on faithful king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.